Every once in a while, somebody asks me, dude, how do you actually pay to do what you do? How do you make money? <laughs> and the truth is, the podcast doesn't. This is kind of a labor of love. It's one of the things that I do because I'm a seeker and I'm always on the hunt for embodied teachers to both sit down with and learn from myself and then be able to turn around and share them, their beautiful voices, energy, and wisdom with you. As part of that, over the years, I've had the opportunity to see so much and learn so much that it started to form into really powerful ideas and patterns. And that came together in the form of my new book, How to Live a Good Life. And doing things like creating a book, programs, events, and things like that, that's one of the ways that we're able to create this podcast for you. So if it sounds interesting, if you'd be curious about diving into a single book that brings together so much of the wisdom that's been gathered on this podcast over many years and really serves as sort of a, an operating manual for a good life, then please go check it out, How to Live a Good Life. It's available at booksellers pretty much all over the United States, Canada, Australia, the UK, kind of all over the world right now. And we'll give you a link in the show notes if you want to find it as well. You can also download and read the first chapter completely on me at goodlifeproject.com slash book. On to our show. And the elevation of human consciousness is not the quantity of how we work. It's the quality of what our purpose is. Today's guest, Radna Swami, came up in uh, the suburbs of Chicago in the 50s and 60s, and it was a time of pretty major civil strife, and he really suffered seeing all the suffering around him, decided to go on a bit of a walkabout. That took him on a journey into Europe, which then led him through all sorts of other countries from Afghanistan to Iran to Nepal, where he eventually spent years as an aesthetic and found his teacher in India where he then became a devotee of bhakti yoga, which is devotional yoga, the yoga of devotion, and has since gone back and forth for the better part of 40-plus years, doing incredible acts of service, building institutions that serve more than 300,000 uh, kids who are in need in India, and traveling the world, sharing the message of bhakti yoga, devotion of love. It was really wonderful having an opportunity to sit down with him, talk about not only his journey, his path, and what his practice is and his offering is, but also how it relates to the world that we're living in today, and how we can try and bring some of these ideals to experiences in a culture and a community and things that are happening in the world that are really challenging us. So really excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. 
hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert. This season is all about individualized education plans or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. From about four o'clock till the sunrise. Ah, is that when you rise at about four? Yes. Mm. In the Vedic tradition, mm-hmm. which, which I follow, it's called Brahma Mahorta. It's considered a very sacred time of the day. Mm. What is that Sanskrit? Sanskrit. What does that translate to, roughly? Brahma means God or the spiritual origin. Mahorta means a time. Mm. So it's a time that's especially conducive to reconnect with our true self, with God. Mm. Yeah. And it's a very special time that's very quiet because the society's very active, passionate activities are not really started yet. Mm. It's the time when people who are out most of the night are finally sleeping and it's before the people who work all day wake up. Right, it's that, that very tiny window of time yeah. where everything just kind of settles. So it's a very, very special time where the atmosphere is very relatively clean for meditation, for chanting God's names, for studying. Hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about your morning practice? Generally rise around four. And at our ashrams and temples, we all come together about 4.30 for what is called kirtan, or congregational mm-hmm. chanting, chanting, where we sing different mantras and prayers together, God's names. We follow the path of bhakti. Bhakti means the original love that's within the heart of every living being, which is the potential of the soul, is to love and be compassionate. And that love is within all of us. And bhakti yoga is, yoga means to reconnect, union, to reconnect with that love that's within us. So our name of God is Krishna, which means all attractive. Mm. And in the morning we chant these beautiful prayers. And it's a way of unifying all of our hearts with that one spirit of seva or service and devotion. And then after that we have personal meditation on our mantras for about an hour and a half. And then we have, usually we study various holy texts for some time. Mm. And then um, we have more congregational chanting or kirtan. And then by then it's time for breakfast. And then people perform whatever activities they have in the day. Yeah, I'm just thinking the the level of communion and intentionality that infuses your day before the average person wakes up is is kind of stunning. The principle is that if we have a strong foundation, then what we build on that foundation has great substance, because... Through the day, there's many storms, temptations, fears, challenges. And in order to pass through those with integrity, with dignity, with peace, with compassion, it's important that we have a foundation. Just like in a building, if the foundation is strong, then even if there's a storm, mm. the building will stand. But if the foundation's weak, however 
magnificent the appearance of the building is, it will crumble if there's a storm. So, you know, to remember God, to be in harmony with God. When we're in harmony with God, we're in harmony with our true self. We're naturally in harmony with other living beings. And we're in harmony with the environment, with nature. Yoga means that union or harmony. When our body and our mind is in harmony with our spiritual force, the the soul, and when our soul is in harmony with God, with each other, and with nature, then our life is harmonious. But we need a good foundation in order to do that. Mm. So we start each day by developing that foundation through quiet spiritual practice. Yeah, it's striking also... It feels like so much of modern day life is you open your eyes. The latest research I've seen is that a frightening number of people sleep with their devices either next to them or even in bed with them. And the first thing they do when they open their eyes is not time with God, time in communion, time finding stillness, time in meditation. It's time reacting, time immediately checking and reacting. And I, I really, I often wonder what that's not just doing to our brains, but our lives. It's very true. So often people are so obsessed with the quantity of what can be accomplished or what could be acquired that we disconnect with the quality of our life. And the quality of life is based on our relationships with people, our relationships with nature, our relationships with our true self and with God. That brings quality life. And when we connect with that quality life, then even if we're striving in our world of occupation or family, you know, to accomplish things, it's with quality. Hmm. Yeah, I love, I love that, the elevation of quality. Um, you use the word striving, which is an interesting word for me in the context of spiritual path. Um, in Eastern tradition, more Buddhism, I guess, my understanding, and this is a struggle that I've had. I've spent time with the, the Bhagavad Gita and the Panishads and various texts and various teachers. And the idea of striving without attachment, you know, or, or can you have one without the other? You know, if I'm curious, I, I would love to hear more around the idea of integrating striving into your life in a way that's healthy and supportive. This is really addressing the very heart of the Bhagavad Gita yeah. and so many of the great spiritual texts. And it's very much at the heart of bhakti, or the yoga of devotion. Krishna tells in Bhagavad Gita that we should not be attached to the results of our activities, but we should be attached to the quality of why we're doing it and who we're doing it for, and the integrity in which we do it. The real success of our life is in that quality, not in the quantity of what we receive from a material perspective. Because in many ways, what the material results are is beyond our control, whoever we are. But the goodness of our intention the sincerity of our compassion is within our control. So the Gita teaches that we should strive to do the best we can in whatever occupation we're in, whether in business or engineering or science or education or farming or banking. We obviously you know, need to strive because it's a competitive world. But it should not be with greed, should not be with arrogance, with envy. It should be in a spirit of expressing our gratitude and our 
in our compassion in our life. Tell me how attachment interacts with that. I, I mean, you've spoken to it to a certain extent, you know, in Arjuna's quest and the conversation with Krishna. In the context of everyday life, I guess this is this is the struggle. And to a certain extent, I'm I'm trying to pass through the conversations I've had with listeners because I I, I wonder if this would be a question they would love to hear your wisdom on, which is the idea of it feels very difficult. The the notion of putting all of your efforts, um, all of your energies into striving for something without forming an attachment to attaining it. Uh, you look at, from a practical world standpoint, um, scientists, researchers who are trying to come up with a cure for a pervasive disease in society. And while many researchers are absolutely just driven by the process of discovery, you know, Richard Feynman, famous physicist, you know, it was, it was about the joy of figuring the thing out. If you remove the carrot at the end of it, how do we get people to work? Does the striving, does the work towards some auspicious end still happen if we truly detach from attaining that end? I'll give an analogy and okay. then try to explain <laughs> it further. A mother will strive 24 hours a day if necessary to take care of her baby child. She's not making money. She's not getting power. She's not getting fame. But she will strive as hard or harder than any businessman or scientist because she loves the child. So love is the most powerful motivator. So if what we're doing, and this is the very heart of the Gita, if whatever occupation we have, if we tune in to our true self and when we tune into the true self, we tune in to God. And there's a beautiful verse that when you water the root of the tree, the water will naturally go to every leaf, flower, and twig of the tree. Mm -hmm. So when we actually tune into our true self, we tune into God, then we naturally understand our relationship and the love that is within us extends toward all living beings, toward the environment, because they're all connected to God. We see every living being as a child, a brother and sister, and we see the environment as the sacred property of God. And then we're striving, but not with greed, not to exploit. We're striving because we have a higher purpose to express our love and be compassionate. In our ashram in Mumbai where I live, there are simple farmers who are just growing a few crops, but they're doing it in a spirit of love and devotion to God and, and, and sharing whatever they have with others. And we also have multi-multi-millionaires and even some billionaires who are doing the same thing as the farmer in the sense that they're working really hard, international competition, but they're not just doing it out of greed. They're doing it so that what, with, with whatever they gain, they can actually be instruments of compassion and kindness to others with that, through spiritual, social um, activism. Mm. So you could be motivated by compassion, by love, like the mother, or you could be motivated by greed and a desire for power and a desire for selfish interests. And the elevation of human consciousness is not the quantity of how we work. It's the quality of what our purpose is. I, I love the idea of being an instrument of compassion and love. When we look at what's happening in the world today, you know, you and I are sitting here on a beautiful day in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, recording this shortly after a vice presidential debate in this country. And when we look at what's going on in the world today, I don't know whether... There's so much transparency and so much coverage at this point that we're just seeing a lot more of the opposite of love and compassion, or whether somehow there is more of the opposite. And I wonder if 
being tuned into the media in any form or the online world tells a story of more separatism and isolation and you know, self-satisfaction, uh, judgment, hatred, then compassion, love, service. And because it feels like if you want to move into this world today from a place of love, from a place of generosity and compassion, devotion, that um, the forces coming against you are big and bold. And my sense is that a lot of people are really struggling with this. How to lead from this place of pure heart in a world that feels like it's going the opposite direction. For that very reason, it's very important that we have a moral, ethical, and spiritual foundation in our life. Because there are so many storms that will inevitably come upon us during our days. To be with people who inspire us with positive, moral, spiritual energy is very important because we're very much influenced by our company. I'm often invited to be guest speaker at Alcoholics Anonymous hmm. when I'm in India. And it's interesting because so many people I know all over the world have been drug addicts, alcoholics, and this organization gives them such strength to overcome it and sustain their soberness because they're with people who support them. They're with people who understand them and in a similar way on a spiritual level, community is very important to have the company of people who spiritually inspire us, who give us faith and hope, who help to see the goodness in ourselves. And then with that confidence, we have a spiritual practice, whether it's meditation, prayer. In our tradition, we chant God's names. And that connection really gives us a strength that is beyond our mind and beyond our senses and beyond our intelligence. It's the strength of grace. Just like a satellite television, if you press a button, you tune into one frequency of a channel and you get a soap opera from New York City. <laughs> and you press another button and you get the news from... Los Angeles. You press another button and there's a cricket match in India. So you're tuning into these frequencies and according to what you tune into, you access that. So similarly, in this world that we're living in, there's greed, there's generosity, there's envy, there's compassion, there's arrogance, there's humility, and there's grace. Grace is the most powerful of all energies. And through our spirituality, when we do our meditation, when we do our chanting, whatever prayer, we can tune into that grace. And that grace is so powerful. It can forgive us of our transgressions. It can empower us to be instruments of that grace in our life. And then the rest of our day becomes something very meaningful and very beautiful because we're instruments of that compassion, as you said, in whatever we may do. At a time where my sense is the experience of grace is so foreign to so many, how do we know what that feels like anymore? How do we, how do we know when we're in it? First of all, we have to learn how to tune into that frequency. And that's what, you know, the holy books and the holy teachers are teaching us. And then when we actually tune into that frequency, then we know it's an experience where we can truly appreciate that the value of service is far more satisfying than the value of our selfish aspirations. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. If that sounds familiar, you should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. Is grace, the as, as you're sort of describing grace, the the phrase Jiva Mukti came into my head, um, you know, which my understanding translates roughly to liberated being, which I've always looked at as something that in a practice you might strive to explore, but very few people ever actually experience. And so when you're, you're, you're talking, my, my first thing, well, is, is grace that that same state, my sense is, it's not that, and tell me if I'm projecting or hoping, <laughs> maybe, that grace is something that very likely exists all around us and within us all of the time. And it's less about creating it and it's more about reconnecting with it. Exactly. Grace is not created. God is the extension of his love to every living being, which is forever. It's like the sun is shining for everyone at noon. And some people are in a cave, and some people come out in the sunshine. Grace is that sunshine. It's the extension of God's love, God's compassion. And our spiritual practice is meant to take us out of the cave of our selfish egoism, those tendencies, 
and actually experience the light of God's love in the form of grace. And once we experience that, then our greatest joy in life is to share that with others. It seems one of the uh, the aspirations or the one of the things that we might work towards is deepening self-knowledge. And um, you can go to school in the United States to study all sorts of fields of you know, professional education, get certifications and degrees. How do what are the first steps for us to start to take and following the name of your recent book, The Journey Within, you know, to the process of self-discovery that that searches inside of ourselves and really asks the question, who am I? What matters to me? What's the entry point? That's the beginning. When we have an experience in our life that there is something beyond all these ever-changing experiences of life, there's... A proverb, you can tell how rich you are by counting how many things you have that money can't buy. <laughs> because we see in the world, you know, there's people who really have very little materially in their suffering. But we see that even the wealthiest millionaires and billionaires are suffering. Essentially in the same way, but apparently in different ways. There's suffering of the body and mind. There's suffering caused by other living beings. There's suffering caused by natural disturbances. And they apply to everyone. And whether we fulfill our material ambitions and we realize this isn't really where it's at. I remember one of my dear friends was very close with George Harrison of the Beatles. And when he was on the top of the world with the Beatles, you know, he had wealth, he had fame, he was young, he was tremendously talented as a musician. Everything he was striving for, he had it. But he understood he didn't really have anything. There must be something beyond this. There must be something deeper than this. Because, you know, when we don't have something, we think we'll be happy when we have it. But when we have it, there's not much more happiness. So what is it? So, you know, that led him to the spiritual path. So it's very important, beginning in our spiritual life, to recognize that there is something very beautiful and very wonderful at the core of being a living being. And what is that? What is beyond death, is there something? And all the great sages and yogis and saints have taught us that there is something beyond the flickering, changing world and beyond death. And it begins with a sincere inquiry at this point. Who really am I? If I'm going to be happy, who really am I? If you ask a person, who they are, we get so many common answers. You get a name, but you could change your name. You get a nationality, but you could change your nationality. You could change your occupation. You could change your religion. You could change your sex. Practically everything's changing. We're young. Whether we like it or not, we're going to change and become old. <laughs> so these are all changing things. So who is it that's witnessing all these changes? Is it the mind? The mind, how fast that could change. One moment you're really happy, and then the next moment you're depressed. That's the nature of the mind, accepting, rejecting, hankering, lamenting. Who's the witness? Who am I, that changeless person that's going through all these experiences? The body and mind are like a vehicle, the interior and external of exterior of a vehicle, but we're the driver. We're seeing through the windshield. We're seeing through our eyes. We're hearing through our ears. We're thinking through our brain. Who am I? And in order to really understand that, there are sacred texts. There are saintly persons who lead us 
in a direction. But then we have to take that responsibility to follow that direction, to actually have direct experience. In the Bible, it is said, what profited the person who gains the whole world but lose their eternal soul? And in the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna tells, Najayate mriyate vakadachit, that the true self is beyond birth and beyond death, eternal. And what is the nature of the self? What is the nature of the soul that's beyond birth and death? It's, it's to feel the infinite, limitless, sweet love of God, which comes through grace everywhere. To tune into that grace and to be an instrument of that grace through seva, through service in whatever we may do. And then our occupation, our activities become part of our yoga practice, part of our spiritual path. Once my guru, Prabhupada, was asked, why did you come to this country of America? It was in New York City. Mm-hmm. He came in 1965 to bring this message of bhakti. And he said, I have not come to convert. I have come to enlighten. I've just come to remind you of what you have forgotten, that you're a beautiful part of God. And there's love for God within your heart. And you're all your beautiful souls with a beautiful potential. I've just come to remind you. And through his path, through chanting God's names and living a, a life in harmony with our spiritual nature, then that love awakens. When I think about the word God, and um, it, it's a word that you're very comfortable with, um, when we step outside of this room, and God is seen in different ways by different people and defined in different ways, sometimes in ways that bring us together, but increasingly in the world around us, it seems in ways that not only drive us apart, but are used as rationale for violence against each other. I know you've written about and spoken about your understanding of God and of there essentially being this one presence that people speak of differently. Take me to the conversation around that a little bit. We were giving the analogy of the sun. In India, the sun is Surya. In English, we say the sun. In Mexico, I believe it's soul. So every language has a different name for the sun. And the sun does rise in Mexico, and it rises in India. It rises in America. So when the sun rises in America, is it an American sun? When the sun rises in India, is it an Indian sun? The sun is the sun. It has many names. In a similar way, the Bhagavad Gita tells, Yada yada hi dharmasya klanir bhavati bharata abhyutanam dharmasya tadatmanam srijamya. This is Sanskrit. It means the one supreme truth, the father, the mother, the origin of all living beings and everything that exists, the ultimate object of love, the ultimate object of our heart's deepest aspiration to love and be loved, appears with different names, in different ways, with different forms, throughout history, but essentially to teach us the same message, which in Sanskrit is called Sanatana Dharma. Who really are we? Dharma means occupation. It can also mean religion. It can also mean spiritual path. It can mean nature, too. Our true nature is to love. That's what everybody is longing for. Ananda Mayobhyashat. Everyone is looking for pleasure. The little ant or the cockroach, depending on where we're living. That's New York City, we probably have more of this here. <laughs> or, or, the, or, or the not-so-little rats. <laughs> or the not-so-little rats in the alleys. It may sometimes get into our homes. They're just looking for pleasure. And the billionaire is looking for pleasure. And the middle class is looking for pleasure. 
everyone's looking for pleasure. Wherever there's life, there's a search for pleasure. And the reason we don't like pain is because it interferes with our aspiration for pleasure. Why do we all have that in common? According to the Vedas, the Gita, it's because the living force within all of us is such an ananda, is eternal, full of knowledge, and full of pleasure. And what is that pleasure? Things could give some sense of satisfaction to the mind and senses, but not the heart. If you take a little girl, say four years old, and give her so many beautiful dresses and jewelries and toys and computer technology games, but you don't give her love, she may look pretty, but she's going to live in misery. Because ultimately, the only thing that will satisfy her heart is to love and be loved. And that's true for all of us. So to find that love is what Sanatan Dharma is. God descends into this world with many names and many forms and speaks many languages throughout history to actually help us to understand the real direction that can bring us real satisfaction within our life. And that is the journey within. And to live in harmony with our own true nature, our own spiritual nature. So that's the essence. And unfortunately, in today's world, people are so um, obsessed with the external language of their religion or their spiritual path, with the particular rituals of their religion, that anything that's different, people can feel very insecure or very threatened. But if we understand the true essence of our own spiritual path, then we'll be able to really deeply not only tolerate, but appreciate and love the true essence in all true spiritual paths. It's not a matter of being a Hindu or a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew or a Jain or a Sikh or a Parsi or agnostic or an atheist. It's a matter of seeing the true equality of all living beings by connecting to our own true nature and understanding the first and great commandment is to love God. And when we find that essence, when we understand that essence in our own spiritual path, then we really, really can live in harmony and with gratitude toward all the various spiritual paths in the world. So the problem is not religion. The problem is an external, superficial conception of religion, which is used by the ego. The basis of all spiritual paths is to help us to go beyond the ego, to transcend the false ego, and understand the true nature of ourself and God. But unfortunately, Throughout history, it's been like this. People use religion as a weapon to defend their false ego. Rather than making us humble and grateful and compassionate, it's a way of giving absolute justification for our false ego to act according to its whims. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new 
Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A little while back, I had uh, the opportunity to spend some time with Sakyam Mipam Rinpoche, who's the now head of um, Shambhala Buddhist lineage. And he's, he's written about his firm belief that was handed down by his dad, Trungpa Rinpoche, that the fundamental nature of people is that we're good. And um, and I said, really? <laughs> and I so want to believe that. And it sounds, you know, from the way that you're, everything that you've offered, it, it, come, it comes from that fundamental assumption that our essential nature is goodness, is loveness, is compassion, is generosity, is kindness. And I do think I believe that. But sometimes I'm challenged when I just look at what's around us today, especially when you want to move through the day coming from that place. But I think that's a lot of the work that we're trying to do with, you know, with these conversations, with the community that we're building at Good Life Project. And clearly the work that you're doing in the world and on a much larger scale, the communities and service projects and everything that you've been building. You came to your spiritual path in an interesting way to your own personal journey. Uh, I would love to explore a little bit. You grew up outside of Chicago, brought up in a Jewish family. What was your earliest experience of faith or religion or spirituality? My family were religious, not in a ritualistic way, but in the way they expressed their feeling of responsibility to God through taking care of the family. Mm. You know, my mother, my father, my uncles, my aunts, my grandparents, they, they expressed their religion through their acts in that way. They weren't so formally connected with the ritual aspect of the religion. But when I was growing up, I saw, as you were expressing, so much hatred in the name of a loving God so much arrogance where I see we're supposed to be learning to be humble. And it really confused me. And I came to a point where I became more of a social activist mm -hmm. to try to make changes in the world. And this was the 50s and 60s also, where there was 
tremendous civil unrest and yeah this was I, this was a moment in our history <laughs> this was the 1960s when i was just coming into my teenage years yeah. and i was just caught between so many confusing situations but even through my social activism i could understand that unless there's really a goodness of the heart it's not sustainable. It's almost hypocrisy. And I wanted to find that goodness of heart. And it led me on a spiritual search. But then there was a crossroads. Because of so much arrogance and hatred in the name of a loving God, I either have to reject religion or I have to find that essence within it. And I just believed to the very core of my heart that that essence was there. And I began to study various spiritual faiths to try to find that essence. And in my own search, I went to Europe when I was a teenager, and I ended up hitchhiking through Europe studying Judaism and Christianity, and then I hitchhiked through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, I studied Islam, and I came to India and traveled to many holy places in the Himalayas and in the plains, and I studied various forms of Buddhism, Hinduism, yoga. And I was finding that essence in all these spiritual paths. And I was also follow finding so much sectarianism, so much judgmentalism, and so much arrogance in, in each and every one of these spiritual paths. And it it fascinated me in the sense that through both the challenges and the heartbreaking situations I was in and the beautiful experiences with enlightened souls, it deepened my faith that there was something beautiful at the heart of it and I must find it. Mm -hmm. And it ultimately, by God's grace, it brought me to the path of bhakti where I found something very, very beautiful. The name Krishna is the name of the Supreme Being, and it means all-attractive. It means all-beautiful. It's where the power, the ultimate power of God is in sweetness, love, and compassion, and to somehow or other reconnect ourselves with that compassion. The journey that you took brought you to the other side of the world through a lot of experiences, a lot of study, through years of asceticism also and I imagine a certain amount of suffering along the way and discovery for somebody who is listening to this as they're going from one stop to the next stop this conversation and something is awakening inside of them and they're saying huh I buy this but I don't want to go on that journey <laughs> Are there shortcuts along a spiritual path? If there are, I haven't found any. But, but I, I wonder if some, if some people hear conversations like, like we're having and ideas like you're offering say, yeah, I get it. I believe it. It resonates. But it seems like everybody who's gotten there has gone through some sort of long, deep, intense hero's, heroine's journey that involved a great deal of disruption and suffering. Can I get to a similar place in my life without that? I traveled across the world to find my path. And I came back to visit my parents, and I remember sitting in their back porch and with full conviction understanding Whatever I found there is right here. I really didn't have to go anywhere. The journey home is the journey within our own hearts. We can connect to that joy of the soul wherever we are. But sometimes throughout history, we get inspired by people's long, treacherous, dangerous journeys to find it. And then we actually really appreciate what it is that they strive for. But then we should understand 
that I really don't have to go on any external journey. I just have to learn how to know myself, to live in harmony with our own souls, body, mind, and soul, in harmony, to not exploit nature, but to learn to respect nature, to not exploit each other, but to learn to respect and appreciate each other. We may have a best friend who has cancer. We hate the disease, but we love the person who's diseased. So inherently, like your teacher taught you, everyone is good. Everyone is part of God in our tradition. Everybody is related. But somehow or other, this ego is like a disease. And the symptoms of the disease may be greed, it may be violence, it may be hatred, it may be so many things, depression. But we, we should see that it, the person is suffering these conditions, but the person, him or herself, is actually a beautiful child of the same supreme being. And then, you know, even when we are activists against injustices, we don't do it with hatred, we do it with compassion. And that potential is in all of us. We don't have to go to India to find it. But it may help to go somewhere to a holy place or something to actually you know, make a connection where we recognize that it is within myself. Mm. But one can become a fully enlightened soul in Manhattan Island of New York City if we sincerely take to our spiritual path. For that, you know, we need teachers who could really show us the way. We need the association of people who really inspire us. And we need a spiritual practice that can actually awaken that potential. Indeed. Chanting God's names is a very, very simple method of awakening that potential that actually anyone could do anywhere with sincerity. I remember um, a couple of years back being in a room at a yoga studio in New York City with uh, Krishna Das Kirtanwala and maybe a hundred people, you know, chanting late into the evening. I'm guessing out of a hundred people, 98 had no idea what any of the words that we were chanting meant. Yet there was an energy. There was... It's not a mood. There was something that happened in the room that elevated everyone. Even having no understanding, they, there was no translation of the kirtan. And, you know, and it was, you know, typical call and response. And um, it was magical. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes even if we like you said, we don't have to go across the world. In fact, I sometimes wonder, you know, so many of the times it's within, but also even if we just need to change places and be with other people in a place where there's a, some guidance and we're reminded, you know, this is a place where we can touch stone together or we can touch back into ourselves. I wonder too sometimes if the opposite phenomenon occurs, which is that somebody says, I'm ready. I'm ready for my journey. They've gone through a series of unfortunate moments in their lives or seasons and I'm ready and they pick up and they disrupt everything and they travel across the world and they go from place to place and find different teachers and different communities and spend time in different places only to find that the change in external environment did nothing to give them what they wanted and it wasn't until the moment they made a choice to open from the inside out that everything changed. Because I've seen that happen. People thinking the problem is where they are or that they don't have the right tools yet or the right location. <laughs> um, so I, I wonder if it's, the, it's that blend of sure, the journey, the, the change of location the being around people where you can open, where you can unfold is important. But until you actually decide, yes, I'm in, 
and then take action on that choice, nothing else matters. When we're sincere, to understand what's beyond the selfish aspirations of my life and what I'm seeing around me, then we become receptive. And it's not so much where we are, but who we're with that helps us to really make that connection. I've lived in caves in the Himalayan jungles, and I met very enlightened people. But I also met people who were extremely arrogant, extremely selfish, even though they were fasting and they were living in a cave, they didn't have much clothes. They were peop- they, they had a lot of arrogance, and they had a lot of negativity. And I have been seeing in even big cities, people who are very enlightened, who are very deeply and peaceful in the love of their soul. So I've seen both in the jungles of the Himalayas, and I've seen both in cities like Mumbai and Calcutta and New York and London. So it's not a matter of where we are. It's a matter of what we aspire to be and how we connect and how we integrate our lifestyle, whatever it may be, and our occupation with our real dharma, with, with the inherent nature of the soul. So I want to come full circle. The name of, of this is Good Life Project. So if I offer that, that term out to you, to live a good life, what comes up? We should each recognize what our potential is and who we are. We're all part of the same God. We are all truly, eternally beautiful beings. We're all eternally, truly happy, loving beings. That's who we are. Nothing and no one could ever take away from us but we ourselves can forget it. And we could be vulnerable towards situations and people that cause us to further forget it. Or we can make a commitment to actually recognize that beyond my vulnerabilities, beyond my propensities to fall into depression or sadness or greed or endless longings that are not fulfilled, whatever, heartbreak, there's something that is beyond that, and that's who I am. And we have to keep focused on the true beauty that nothing and no one can take away from us, our inherent nature, and to pursue in our life people and a spiritual path that actually help to awaken the truth of my potential to love, to be an instrument of compassion, is the real beauty of life. It's who we are, it's who we've always been, and who we always will be. But how long are we going to forget, be in forgetfulness of that? That's the question we should ask ourselves. And when we really are determined, yes, I want to make a positive difference in my life, and I want to really make a positive difference in this world, and I want to reconnect and have that spiritual foundation I could build my life upon, then we will seek out people who will enlighten us and we'll speak, seek out a spiritual path, not a sectarian concept, but something that will actually bring out that divinity. The word mantra, man means the mind, trayate means to liberate. Sri Chaitanya who is one of the great avatars of India, he taught that the mind is like a mirror. And when you look in the mirror, you're supposed to see yourself. But when the mirror is covered by layers and layers of dust and debris and pollution, then when you look in the mirror, all you see is that dust. And we think, that's me. Spiritual process. In our tradition, it's chanting God's names especially. It's, th- it's a method of cleansing the mirror of the mind. And when the mind becomes clean, 
cleansed of the dust and the debris of envy and arrogance and selfish passions and greed and illusions. In other words, these are various byproducts of the false ego. As the mind becomes cleaned through our spiritual process and through our lifestyle, then we actually see who we really are and we see we're part of God. We're truly beautiful people. Let the shine of my beauty come through whatever I'm doing. And that's good life. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. We love sharing real, unscripted conversations and ideas that matter. And if you enjoy that too, and if you enjoy what we're up to, I'd be so grateful if you would take just a few seconds and rate and review the podcast. It really helps us get the word out. You can actually do that now right from the podcast app on your phone if you have an iPhone. You just click on the reviews tab and take a few seconds and jam over there. And if you haven't yet subscribed while you're there, then make sure you hit the subscribe button while you're at it. And then you'll be sure to never miss out on any of our incredible guests or conversations or riffs. And for those of you, our awesome community who are on other platforms, any love that you might be able to offer sharing our message would just be so appreciated. Until next time, this is Jonathan Fields signing off for Good Life Project. Good Life Project.